0: NASA
1: 557, contact tower, 128.15. Caution.
2: Caution. Manual. Fuel. Manual.
1: Fuel. I'm John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Cruz.
2: And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives
0: on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for
2: the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your returns just for listening to the show.
1: We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations.
0: So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead.
2: Well, hello, gentlemen. It is another special edition of Flight Safety Detectives, another follow-up. On this story we've been covering the last several days regarding Alaska Airlines Flight 1282, a 737-9 Max that uh, had an in-flight issue, um, lost the emergency exit door plug that was installed, and so we've uh, we've been tracking some information. We've been pretty putting out information as we get it. We've learned some new information today and other information. Is released from last night to clarify some of the things we've been talking about. Again, we don't like to speculate, we don't do that on this show, but as we get new pieces of information we try to at least put them in context. And the last couple of days we've put this discussion about these bolts that supposedly hold this uh, fuselage plug in place, this door plug in place, there's been a little bit of confusion and we've talked about the fact that why these bolts may not have been safety wired or maybe using loctite on the threads to keep them from backing out. We now have a better understanding and in fact we have pictures that show basically what we're talking about as far as the bolts. So with that clarification, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to open up this discussion with you John and some of the new things that we've learned today with regard to these specific bolts. Some of the pictures that apparently have filtered out of an inspection by United Airlines showing uh, some of the, the, quote, bolts that are in, in holding one of the door hinges in place.
0: Yes, Greg. So we, we've we gotten a, a fair amount of information and several pictures in which we're willing to share. Todd has, has them all queued up already. But what we've discovered is this door is an emergency exit door. It's hinged on the bottom, on the floor of the airplane, and it comes out the top end first to swing down. And it's meant to be an aid to help the folks exit the airplane easier. It's only used on airplanes that have more than like 180 seats or 179 seats, uh, which the U.S. carriers so far of these airplanes don't have seat density that high. But in places like Asia and in Europe, with uh, a number of airlines there, they do run them about 200 passengers. So they need an extra exit and an extra flight attendant. So right now, they're the only ones that are operating this airplane in that kind of high density seating. Having said all that, what we found out was that this door was essentially ripped off the airplane. The hinges were left behind, the ones that left on the floor, with with a little piece of the door on one of them. And the door has been located, and that'll go a long way to help the NTSB determine the mechanism of the failure, how it came apart. But it does appear that the bottom of the door left first and went up and then broke. There's two pins on the top of the door that project out from the door frame and capture the door at the top, the closing lugs. And uh, those are that's where the bolt is that's inserted to prevent this door from opening. So it, it has a cross bolt in there. We don't know whether it was installed yet or not. It does appear um, and I'm sort of guessing a little bit here. It does appear that it may have been installed, but we'll find that out uh, possibly from physical evidence on the door. And it broke those pins vacated the airplane, and went over the top of the horizontal stabilizer. Now, when you're looking at that, we've, we've been looking at how could that have happened? How could that door get pushed out? 16,000 feet, it's not fully pressurized. It's substantially pressurized, but there's still more pressure to come. So it, it's still got a lot of several tons of force on that door pushing it out. But the, the hinges and those attachments are very robust. Can easily handle that so there had to be some other mechanism that caused that to fail now we get some more and some pictures from one of the operators of the of this uh, 900 type airplane and the lower fittings are shown to be not secured they have bolts in them that are loose it doesn't appear we can't see the back side of it so we don't know if If they have cotter pins in there to maintain the uh, the tension or if a self-locking nut, we just don't know. But the pictures clearly show that the attachment hardware is not fully engaged, so it's loose. What that means uh, to this airplane, since it's the forward end of the bottom of the airplane, is that the pressurization could push that door out into the slipstream. And at 300 miles an hour, that generates a ton of pressure on the door, much more than than what the cabin pressure would exert on the door. So what what it looks like may have happened is the door was pushed out and the airflow at 300 miles an hour just took care of the rest. But it's too early to say that. Uh, But that's a possible sequence of events. The NTSB, I think, right now is in very good shape to make a determination of just what happened. The FAA said earlier today, and Todd, you can talk about this, about uh, the engineering and what they found and what they're going to allow. So why don't you go and do that right now?
1: Most of the information that I have is from an article that was published late in the evening on uh uh, the 9th of January from the New York Times that stated that the airworthiness directive that was first issued to inspect the doors of the 171 U.S. registered aircraft had to be adjusted by Boeing based on some feedback they had from technicians. Although they didn't say what technicians, the only two airlines that operate that aircraft in, North, in the United States are uh, Alaskan United. So presumably feedback from one or both of those airlines it gave them insights as to how they should inspect that door to make sure that the Doors are properly installed. Uh, that said, uh, they're going forward with issuing that new uh, directive, which means that whatever process was in place to put these airplanes back in service will be delayed somewhat.
2: And when we look at when we look at that um, particular procedure and the inspection, based on what we understand as to how this bolt is now assembled, the assembly itself, it has a bolt basically a castellated nut and then a cotter pin that is securing that bolt and that nut in place so that it can't back out or get loose. And of course, the discussions we are having, and I'm sure the NTSB and the FAA are having, is, well, if we have a bolt in place, then how are the nuts backing off unless you have the cotter pin? Or was there even a nut and a cotter pin ever installed and even to the point where the NTSB has shipped the door that, uh, that was recovered back to Washington to see if one or more of these bolts may not have been installed at all. And so that will help build the storyline because, again, with them finding additional airplanes that nuts are loose or the bolts are loose is what they've been saying. The question is, how is that happening? Is it because during the installation process, they're not properly torqued to a particular value? The nuts are not put in place or the cotter keys, uh, the cotter pins are missing. Um, there's a variety of different different scenarios that need to be ferreted out. But gentlemen, with this particular inspection, once they do conduct the inspection, what's really, I mean, is it the belief and and should, I guess, passengers feel confident that once these inspections are completed, turn to service that this is a one-off that this type of inspection is once you've identified that you got a bolt there a nut there and a cotter pin is there anything else to worry about
1: well, well I, I think, think go ahead you know,
0: from all the years of experience I had if it's installed properly you probably don't have to look at it again but nobody in, in the FAA or or even in Boeing is going to accept that for the first time so we'll get through this inspection. With determinant but then they I'm sure they're going to put a repeat inspection on this at some point down the road maybe 100 125 hours it might be 500 flight hours whatever the number is that they they determine they'll at least look at it one more time to make sure nothing has changed and then if nothing has changed they may just move it all the way up to to a heavy maintenance visit which is probably about uh Uh, seven or eight years out. So then they'll stretch it out. But I wouldn't think that they would move on based on just one inspection. I think they would have a follow-up, at least one, to make sure that everything is still the way they left it, and then they could move it
1: out. Well, certainly on the uh, Boeing side of things, there's a public uh, perception problem. Um, Reportedly, today, the president, the CEO of Boeing had a all-hands meeting in Renton, where they, where they uh, have final assembly for the 737, saying things like, we 100% accept responsibility for this, and we're going to be totally transparent going forward, which uh, are, are good words to say. Uh, I'd like to see if the actions speak uh, to those words as we go forward. And how much transparency and what they'll be transparent about, that wasn't stated. But certainly, there is a passenger trust issue with the 737 MAX because of all the very uh, uh, well-documented issues in the past. And whether or not this will face similar scrutiny over time will depend on what comes out of the investigation and what actions Boeing takes in the short term.
2: Well, you know, again, that's great that those words have been spoken by uh, the CEO of Boeing. But how is it that these airplanes are slipping through um, we've talked about it on past shows with regard to the quality control issues that have been uh, well publicized, not only now with this particular event and possibly the installation of these door plugs, but again, we had a rudder issue with the 737 MAX and a loose bolt. We've had elevator problems with the uh, with the 737 MAX, uh, 787 issues and things like that. John, what do you think? especially where's the FAA with all of this and why aren't they clamped down on them um and are they going to given the fact that Boeing wants to increase production to uh, 51 aircraft a month
0: well on the on the first half of that question uh it is quality control it it is an inspector physically on the floor not an FAA inspector an inspector who works for, for Boeing who's on the job 24 uh you know 8 hours a day uh during his shift and that they, they run two shifts plus sometimes a third so you got to have inspectors there that are trained just to look at what's done now most managements despise that because inspectors don't don't produce anything they prevent something from happening and it's very very difficult to prove a negative so when you get when you start getting people that are financially accountable, when they see that amount of overhead that that costs, uh, they don't want to go there. Right? But when you compare that overhead, in this case with the 737, compared to the hundreds of millions of dollars that this has already cost the manufacturer, Boeing, right? that pales in comparison. Now, Boeing used to have a very robust quality inspection department. And Sometime after the McDonnell Douglas merger, uh, that started to diminish. You can understand it. If you've taken any classes in uh, MBA-type management classes, you'll find out that they talk about reducing this, non, this overhead inspection-type people. There's others, too, management people. Reducing it down until it hurts and then add a little bit back. Well, that's not the aviation formula, but that's what Jack Welch did with the GE, and they crashed and burned over it as a corporate entity. They had all kinds of problems, caused caused massive massive disruption and actually a breakup of the company, because of the partially because of those problems that they brought. Right, so now we see the same thing happening here at uh, at Boeing, where we've removed the this level of, of second look at the work that's done, people that are just going around to make sure that things are done right. And what has happened? Just problem after problem after problem with the quality. Quality escapes is one of the words they like to use. So we have all these escapes. Just this year, we have had major problems with fasteners uh, coming, coming from uh, Spirit Aerospace, uh, coming to Boeing, which they weren't proper. We've had the rudder problem with the hardware not being attached on a, on a rudder, critical flight control. And then we have this one. So in 2023, we had three major quality issues with this airplane.
2: 2024.
0: That's no. Well, just the piece of it, yeah. Yeah. All right. But in the last year, we've had three qual- three major quality problems. And a, a whole host of little ones. So the quality issues coming out of here, out of Seattle, where they have the most experienced workforce, are, are kind of scary. If you look at South Carolina, I mean, never, never in, in the history of aviation have I heard a customer tell the manufacturer who's producing airplanes in two locations. That they don't want it, their airplanes produced in a facility in South Carolina. They won't accept them. They only wanted them out of, out of Seattle. And that's well, Todd. You've been
2: you've been around Boeing and and of course the industry quite a bit. Do you think um, you know displacing headquarters, which Boeing eventually to Virginia, being three thousand miles away from where they're actually producing? Do you think that is a disconnect with regard to? you know, not only oversight, but really getting good feedback and knowing what's going on on the uh,
1: manufacturing floor. Well, if it were just that, if it were just the corporate uh, heads moving offsite, that's one kind of disconnect. But over the last couple of decades, Boeing has slowly evolved to have a different kind of corporate structure, a different kind of disconnect. John mentioned Spirit Aerosystems, which is based in Wichita. That used to be a division of Boeing, and now it's a separate company. Clearly, they have a long history with Boeing, but ultimately, if Boeing says we're going to be 100% transparent on this, as the CEO said today, it begs the question, are you going to ensure that your major partners who are responsible for major portions of the airplane, including the fuselage of the 737, how are you going to ensure that that transparency will translate to what your partners are doing in a way that will resolve this problem and allay public, the public's fears or concerns? about the 737 MAX. And as far as uh, displacing the corporate uh, heads uh, 3,000 miles away, there are many examples of companies, including one of their competitors in the military side, Lockheed Martin, that also has headquarters in the DC area and also has their major manufacturing elsewhere. Uh, Just because you have that structure doesn't mean you'll have that problem. This calls into question a whole lot of complex issues such as what was the evolution of Boeing from having their manufacturing and headquarters basically in the same place, the so one where manufacturing is distributed, responsibility is distributed, and those who are ultimately responsible happen to be physically distant.
2: And when we look at all of this, John, you know, with the the inspections and what they may, may end up doing with, with all of this, you know, the question is, how long from a public standpoint, do we wait to see, because this isn't going to be an instantaneous change overnight. So the question is, how does the flying public get that feedback and that confidence back in a company like Boeing, given all of the problems that, uh, that they keep seeing in the news media every single day? Well, they're not going
0: to get it with a CEO that has private meetings with his employees And it's going to spoon feed the the, uh, discussion out to the public because we know it's going to be their PR people that's going to spoon feed that information out. And it's not going to be their dirty laundry. I don't care about their dirty laundry. What I want to see is action on their part. I want to see changes in the manufacturing process. I want to see where they have dedicated people looking over the shoulder of the people doing the work to make sure they're following the procedures that are being uh called out you know if this hardware was loose i'll guarantee you the procedures don't say leave the hardware loose so how did the hardware get loose it got loose because they didn't follow procedures and uh, these are this a critical piece of the fuselage every critical element of flight is supposed to be have a second look the the hardware that was missing on the rudder you worked on a critical component who looked over your shoulder when it was done and make sure everything was was accomplished in accordance with the procedures. That's what's missing. That's what they got to put back. They can start that immediately. They can announce that immediate, immediately that they're going to implement a program like that. They don't have to take what I just said, but implement a program that raises the assurance level for everybody, FAA, everybody, their own suppliers, their own employees in the outside. It gives them some uh, warm and fuzzy feeling that finally the management in Boeing is making moves to fix these problems.
1: And the yeah. problem isn't just with getting the, uh, the flying public to have trust and faith in Boeing. It's also a question of who are the people who are going to be doing the work, either with Boeing or with their suppliers. If they see this over and over again in the news, if they have to explain, if their current employees explain to their friends and family and people they happen to meet on the street, what's wrong with your company? That's an incentive to say to themselves, okay, I have these skills. I have these skills in an industry that's global. Should I take my uh, toolkit and go down the road to SpaceX or to Lockheed Martin or to Airbus or whomever? And especially those who are working remote, remotely, office workers, uh, researchers, et cetera. If they can work remotely with Boeing, they can work remotely with anyone. So it's up to the CEO and the management to look at this problem as well as the immediate issue with the 737 door.
2: Now, one of the buzzwords that, uh, and the terms that we use in aviation in the last 20 plus years is safety management system. And we know that with a safety management system, it basically identifies you know, processes that can be implemented to identify hazards and ensure high quality control um, is is the, an, an element of success, um, proper training of all of the uh, the folks in their respective disciplines and a variety of other things. But we know that the principle, um, the core value of an SMS program starts at the top. You have to have an accountable executive. Typically that accountable executive is the president, the CEO or whoever. And I know that supposedly Boeing had implemented a program an SMS program yet it doesn't seem to be <laughs> fully engaged and who's the accountable executive here because everybody keeps pointing the finger elsewhere.
0: Yeah and do they have a single SMS program? You know I I I was I I spoke to some people at Boeing They were saying they were putting their own SMS in in one of the larger divisions. Right? That's not that's not what you want to do. You want to have a universal SMS program in place, and it has to be applied across the board, the entire company, not piecemeal, uh, because it's designed in such a way that you can you can bring bring it down and work in in different work areas. But the 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 key one of the keys is good accountability and record keeping. Well, that has to be kept in one place, right? So it has, everybody's got to have a one place to go to look at all the problems and look at all the, the fixes that have been put in place. And I don't, you know, I'm I'm six or seven months behind with what Boeing is doing on SMS. But six or seven months ago, I didn't think they were doing the right thing. You know, and the reason why I can say I say that is because I'm co-authoring the only US book on SMS. So I understand it. Been, we've had three versions of our book. We've been updating it constantly. I know what's going on in the industry with SMS. And I don't have a great warm and fuzzy feeling about Boeing's SMS.
2: And, and of course, you know, along the, that line of SMS, Todd, one of the uh, things that has been circulating, and of course, we all have contacts and friends in the industry that have cited that There is a corporate culture or internal culture problem at Boeing. And uh, of course, they they hinge it on, well, it's on the manufacturing floor. The problem is the person who sets the culture within the company isn't, isn't the floor manager. It's actually the CEO or the president of the company. And then that culture filters down through all levels of management and, of course, staff.
0: And you have to keep track of it, because as it goes through those steps, it changes. If you're not there to watch or have people there to watch what's being done, what comes out at the lowest level, at the worker bee level, sometimes can be 90 or 180 degrees different than what the CEO said. So you really have to pay attention to that. In larger organizations, it gets sideways pretty quick, so you so that There's a lot of pieces to an SMS in a larger organization like this, but you need to have enough resources in place so that everybody, every department can be coordinated in what they do. It all has to report up to one person, one place. Now, do I think the the CEO is going to run the program? No, I guarantee he's not going to run it. But he's going to have somebody that's a direct report to him, not reporting five layers below, a direct report to him, that that job is really to oversee their SMS program. If Boeing is
1: serious about their transparency, they should be transparent about what you just said. Do they have someone directly reporting to the CEO or do they not? That's an easy question.
0: Right. That is an easy question. I was told they do, but whoever it is must be pretty invisible because (laughs) it's, (laughs) let's not go there.
2: I love when we get
1: John spooled up on the subject. Well, we're also here tonight because I want to spool you two up on the subject of the investigation of this event. In the last couple of days we've had quite a bit of information come in, some from official sources such as the NTSB finding the door, some from other sources. And uh, here's where I'm going to step back and let you two gentlemen take us through some of the information we have, such as the schematic of the door that we showed in the last show, and also what we've seen in both the door frame and the door that matches up with that schematic and giving the the viewer an idea of what exactly went on and what might have broken.
0: Why don't you put the pictures up and we'll talk to the pictures. Very like good. A power, like a PowerPoint. Just pick one, it doesn't matter. Okay. Oh, yeah. here's, a good, here's a nice close-up of this This uh, the track track guide. The, the, the official word is the latch track fitting. And that's the piece on the left hand side of this picture. You can see the rivets holding it uh, onto the onto the door. The right side of this picture is the door frame. That's part of the airplane that doesn't go anywhere. So this this fitting with the with the nut and the castellate the castellated nut and the Carter pin in it. That's the pin that prevents the door from opening. So, in order for this door to opening, this door has to raise up until the pin that's in there, the top arrow, till that pin gets all the way down the bottom to the bottom arrow and can exit this this device, this
2: fitting. Yeah, that's the roller track that uh, that the board has been talking about.
1: Right. So let's they, let's oh. orient people on that using the schematic that was uh, provided, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one, the schematic that was provided by Boeing that the NTSB distributed. And this is a schematic that we actually showed in one of our previous shows on this subject. Let's, uh, so this is the door. And as you recall from the event, the door that separated was on the left side of the aircraft. So if this were that door, the front of the aircraft would be to the right, the rear of the aircraft would be to the left. And the pin or the section that we just showed, the upper roller guide, would be up in the upper left or right here. Let's uh, get a little bit closer here. It would have been the right side. Right side. Yep, right there.
2: And it is the part that's in between those two stop lugs right there. So there... And then its mating surface, Todd. If you scroll, if you take your cursor right there, it's right in the middle, right there.
1: That's the mated surface. The mated surface is on the frame of the door, and the roller guide is on the door itself.
2: We saw we saw from some of the pictures that passengers took from the internal or inside the cabin of that particular door frame. And I think the NTS made it too. That there is evidence that you can see those stop lugs, but of course the hardware that is attached to the uh, the door frame itself, puller guide is has been damaged and torn out.
1: And if we can blow up this uh, one on the left here,
2: And you can see that the uh, you know that that hardware is still there. It's most likely damaged. Um, from when, of course, that door opened up because it has to go up to get that roller to, to follow the, the roller guide or the roll. So as John was talking or speaking about, that door had to have somehow gone up, lifted up, to then come out of the bottom of that roller guide and allow the door to open up and then air loads probably did the rest.
1: Let's compare this uh, door from the incident aircraft to the same door in an aircraft where everything's intact. Let's uh, so the right side is what we're looking at before, and yep. as you can see here, yeah, without getting too pixelated, it's going to be this area here with the yeah. roller uh, track being on the left and the pin on the right engaged. Correct. Engaged. That's correct. So, and then what's in the middle
2: is that bolt that we saw earlier with the castellated nut and the uh, cotter pin.
1: Unfortunately, this uh, picture isn't close enough to uh, get real real detail on it, but you get an idea of what where things are here. Now, as to the door that was separated, the NTSB did find it. And there's some things that can be seen from this. Now, one of the things to look at here is the window doesn't seem to be right in the middle of this. Well, that's good because it tells you which way is up. The, as you can see from another picture here, this is the incident aircraft and the area where the door had separated from the aircraft. And as you can see from the left and right, there are passenger windows at the same level as where it was in the door. And you can see that these passenger windows a little bit more than halfway up the door. So if we go back to the door that was being displayed by the NTSB, This means that the top of the door would be to the right and the bottom of the door would be to the left. Now, John pointed out something earlier when we were looking at this door. Before I do that, let's go back to the uh, schematic. And toward the bottom, you see bonding jumpers and also, uh, what was it? The straps that were at the bottom? those
2: Those are the bonding straps and in that picture, uh, the door um, out at where they found it, you can see one of those bonding straps protruding from the base of the door on the left side, right around knee level of the investigator.
1: Let's scroll in and zoom in to the investigator on the left. And what looks like a stripe on his on his pants is actually that bonding strap on the bottom of the door. Yeah. Now, another door picture... This is the door laid on the ground. I'm not sure what the sequence is, whether this uh, picture was taken before or after the first picture. I think it was after the picture because, as you can see, there's quite a bit of uh, stains and mud and whatnot on this door that you can see, but this door does not have that. But that doesn't really detract from what we can see here. Right in the corner where it's rounded, you can see, and I forgot the name that you gave this, the the stop pin.
0: Yeah, the track, the latch tray fitting track
1: fitting as you can see this is a rounded corner here and also if you pull out it looks like this is on the upper half of the door because it looks like this window is closer to the foreground than the background now if we go over here to the schematic there's actually 12 stop fittings around the door six on the on the left side six on the right side and the matching pin on the door because we saw the rounded edge on the door was actually along the bottom of the door. Now, this is what was helpful to us because we had to look at the schematic and orient ourselves to the pictures that we have of the door on the ground and the damaged aircraft. Now, speaking of which, uh, how this door opens, you described it much better than I could, Jan. Uh, We obviously have connections on the bottom, and we have connections on the top. How does this door open when normally operated, and how do you think it came apart, came away from the aircraft during the event?
0: Well, normally if you have a handle on the door, uh, in, if it was a, a operating door, you would move the handle and would actually lift the door a, an inch and a half maybe uh, to bring it down on that track of the very early picture we showed. Bring it down so it could come out the the hole. If you put that picture up again,
1: so let's uh, I, get closer to in the schematic the track no, you mentioned.
2: The, there's a track. There was a picture that we showed earlier of the, the very upper, first picture of the upper track of the okay, upper. Okay, let me go back
1: to that.
0: You can see as the door, which is on the left, as as you turn the handle, it raises it up. It, that bolt would not be there. Right, So they would allow that tin that's inside that housing to drop down to that opening, and then you could take pull it out. yeah, and, and the there's, both every, there's a roller in there, a roller. And now what would happen is once it's free, the door would pivot from the top, it's hinged on the bottom, and fall out. It does that in such a way to help with egress of the airplane some some 15, 20 years ago, Uh, Boeing went to hinged uh, emergency exits. Uh, Airbus has had it for a little while. Part of the reason why they did that is passengers were throwing the emergency exits out and actually damaging the wing because there's pins on those overwing exits and passengers operate them, not the flight attendants. So there was problems with them. So they hinged them. We also had some some, uh, people have impairments to egress of the airplane in emergencies, because whoever opened that hatch would leave it right there, oftentimes leave it right there at the exit, and you'd have to struggle to climb over it and climb out of the airplane. So there was a yeah, couple of Because that exit weighs about
2: 50, 60 pounds. So yes. So that
0: the hinge door is much better installation. So in this case, the door hinges down.
2: But what but because it is is in, it is installed as a plug, there is no operating mechanism in the door. It is just basically the shell of the door held in place against these stop lugs with these bolts to keep the door from moving. Um, it, it now becomes an integrated part of the fuselage with no intention for, you know, movement or opening, right.
1: But uh, as we stated before, we're not going to speculate, but I would ask you this. Given the way that the door came off the aircraft and looking at the schematic here, let's go back. Where do you think the problem first occurred? Was it something with the pins up here in the roller track or was it something in the lower part of the door? Yeah, I. I since we
0: know that on the pictures that have been floating around from the inspections that were accomplished as a result of this, we know that those bottom fittings are, are, on several occasions were found loose, found with the hardware not attached. If that's the case in this airplane, pressurization would blow that out and put it in the strip strip seam of the airplane. This airplane was going about 300 miles an hour at the time of this event, if you raise that, if you lower that, that if the lower portion of that door is swung out into the slip string, there's no pins on the bottom. Unlike the top, the top has got pins to hold it in place. The bottom relies upon the hinge, but if the hinge is not secured properly, that door will move out, get caught by the airflow and it would rip off from the bottom towards the top.
1: And now- there's a, And there's a couple of pictures. This is a a, this is from presumably from, I believe, United Airlines that was submitted by we don't know whom, but this is consistent with the bottom hinge assembly you were talking about.
0: Yes. And And in in this picture, you can see clearly that on the on the right hand side on the bottom, that, that bolt is not tight. We can't tell for certain if the bolt above it is tight. But if we go up to the top of the picture on the other side, we can see one of the pieces of hardware on the other side that's not attached. It's all loose. So if that's the case, we've just given up structural integrity in a major way at the bottom corner of
1: that door. So let's go back to the schematic and walk me through this. Uh, This is assuming that we're talking about the left side of the fuselage, which was the side where the incident happened. And you have two of these, one to the left, one to the right. The one on the right would be facing forward. The one on the left would be facing to the rear of the aircraft. Correct. So the airflow would be flowing from, as you look at this picture, from right to left. So it makes more sense that the hinge fitting on the right, if it were loose, would be much more problematic than the one on the left.
0: And actually, because that pit, that picture was one from the right.
1: The, the one that we just showed here?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Oh, I lost it. Come on. I can do this. No, I can't do this. There we go. This is from the right. Now, do we know if this was from another 737 aircraft? It was on the right side. Was this a door that was on the left side of the fuselage or the right side of the fuselage? Can we tell that from this picture? Right side. Okay. So, like the 737 that had the event, um, if there was a problem with the right side hinge, it would be more likely that airflow would cause it to separate from the fuselage and maybe cause enough force to take the door off entirely.
0: Uh, 300 miles an hour, that's an awful lot of wind force.
1: So and what you're sa- saying is that wh- whichever plane this came from, whichever plane this picture came from, had potentially a kind of issue that could have led to what happened with the Alaska Airlines jet.
0: Yes, I, that's, I believe that to be true.
2: Hey Todd, so, why don't you go back to that one picture that shows the exterior view of the door? The audience idea. A better idea. That, I that, just passed
1: it. That, okay, that. we have the exterior and, of the aircraft, and, and again, what, this is the left left side of the fuselage with the rear of the aircraft
2: to the right. And so, at the very bottom, those things ha- that are hanging out of the bottom portion of that door. Those are the lower door hinges. So the door was literally ripped off those two lower door hinges.
0: Yes. Which further reinforces the theory that the the airflow ripped the door off the
1: airplane.
0: More so than than the pressurization pushing it out.
1: One of the The things that I found surprising was an NTSB briefing the other day where they said that there was no exterior damage to the aircraft. And I thought, this is a big door. Uh, how could it not hit, let's say, the horizontal stabilizer? And from an NTSB video that they were leasing to the media, I got a still shot off of this that shows that the incident door surrounded by red tape on the left. We have the wing in front, but the airflow is going to the rear of the aircraft, to the horizontal stabilizer, which is over here on the right. So given that the horizontal stabilizer is a bit higher than the line of windows here. And you were saying off the air that if this door got unhinged on the bottom, it might have been blown up by the way that the air comes over the wing, blown up and over this horizontal stabilizer.
0: That's the only way it could leave, I think, with the theory that it's coming out from the bottom first and breaking away at the top you know a nanosecond later but the bottom was free first and then the top and then it ripped right over and fortunately it didn't hit the hit the horizontal stabilizer because we have had impacts back there before and it could that that is not the rock of Gibraltar and if you hit that thing right you could actually take it off the airplane
1: now i know from our yeah. years of work with the bird strikes that, that the empennage, the, the vertical fin and the stabilizer, they're rated for typically what, an eight-pound bird striking it at a two hundred fifty knots or something like that.
0: That the engines are they don't really hit the, the fuselage. Yeah, but the, they the don't, fuselage they don't
1: what? structurally, you know,
2: shoot things at the uh, flight controls to see what they can tolerate. Okay. But you also have to remember that all airplanes in order to maintain an angle of the proper angle of attack for the best lift fly in a slow slight nose high attitude. So with that being said, if that door comes off just the way the airflow
1: comes off the wing, it it will push things up and back. But in the unlikely event that aerodynamics plays a trick on us and this door had hit the stabilizer, would it be something that would cause a catastrophic failure of that part of the structure or just put a big dent in it? Based um, on your experience looking at these other events in the past? Well, we've
2: seen we've seen damage to horizontal stabilizers to the extent of you know taking half the stabilizer off and the airplane was still able to fly. Um, again, you know, it, it's hard to tell because it depends on how the door is the horse. If it hits it like a barn door flat and then leading edge of the horizontal stabilizer that's one thing versus hitting it uh sideways which could act like a knife and slice through that horizontal stab so uh, again it's it's all about you know the twister the the motion of the the door as it separates from the aircraft
1: so we can speculate until the cows come home what might have happened but there's no speculation about the following two facts one no debris from the door or anything that's separated from the aircraft reportedly, according to the NTSB, hit the aircraft itself. The other thing is that even though there are 178 seats on this aircraft and 171 had a passenger in that seat, which means there were seven empty seats, two of those empty seats happened to be immediately adjacent to where this incident took place.
0: That is very fortunate.
2: Yeah. So, but again, you know, when we look at events like this, um, while well, thankfully there were no serious injuries or fatalities, um, again, this is another wake-up call not only to Boeing but to the. Is all about the details. It is all about the little things. It's not big things, like you know, horizontal stabilizers coming off the airplane. It is, or in this case, the door. It's the little things. You have a bolt, a nut, and a cotter pin, and if it isn't properly installed, it has, you know, dramatic consequences. Um, And in some cases could be fatal consequences. And that's why, you know, attention to detail is so important, not only in aviation, but in everything we do in life. Say it it is more of a, a high risk life and death
1: situation in aviation as we've seen it in the past. You mentioned the little things, here's uh, one set of little things I'd like to discuss. We clearly have the door that was recovered. What we don't clearly have or an idea of is what uh, pins and other small pieces of hardware might have separated along with this door that have not been found. And how difficult will the investigation be if you don't find those small pieces?
2: Well, I think once they look at the door and of course they they're examining the door frame and they're looking at the stop lugs and their whole the mounts of where these bolts and nuts go. They'll be able to tell whether or not there was something in those holes. Um, at the time, um, again, the NTSB during their press conference has alluded, uh, quite strongly that there may, these bolts may not have been installed. Now, I find that difficult to believe because that door is, as John described, has two large springs on the bottom of it to help push it up so that it can come out of its, out of its mounted position if it was a door. The fact is is that if these these bolts were not properly installed, i.e. they weren't installed at all, there would be nothing to hold the door down in proper position. And this airplane flew for 154 hours. That door would have come off well before now. So there had to have been something in the holes. The question is, how many of those bolts, and did they back out because they weren't properly installed over time? We can't, cycle. we can't answer that,
0: NPSB will. Uh, but I think we've done a decent job of giving the facts that we've uncovered so far we don't have all the answers we're not going to speculate on the pieces that we don't have but uh, you know, I for one thought it would be a good idea to share what's known today people can make their own uh, judgment call on what we say whether they believe us or not uh, sooner or later the truth will come out
2: yeah, I think, uh, like you said, John, the NTSB's got enough physical evidence to be able to at least identify, okay, what happened here? How did we get here? Looking back at installation, who had the last, you know, whose fingerprints are all over um, this whole process, if you will. And was it properly overseen, signed off, pushed out the uh, the manufacturer's door and put into into uh, service. So there are still a lot of questions to be answered. Um and the board, I'm sure, will uh will delve into that and get those answers.
0: Right. And and uh, somebody just a few hours ago told us that there was two airplanes on Alaska Airlines that they found hardware problems with. Right. I I only heard that from one source. I don't know whether whether that's accurate or not. But if it is that would bring a total to eight, including this airplane. So that's a lot of people in the view, a lot of questions to ask. Because I doubt if all eight of these were installed by the same person. Yeah. So, so it's going to be interesting to see well, what that what that shows.
2: All stay tuned for more information as the board releases it uh, to enlighten us as to what happened. So, with all of that being
1: said. Todd, I will leave you with the second to the last word. Well, uh, this is uh, one of those events where, as terrible as things might have been, there was a lot of lucky breaks that happened in this case. One, everyone survived. Two, there is plenty of information from eyewitnesses who were in the aircraft, the crew that survived, the uh, debris that was found on the ground. Two, have enough evidence to make a, a go of this. Also because of where it happened and how it happened with a major U.S. carrier that had instant attention by the media, very, very quick response by the FAA and the NTSB and extreme public scrutiny of which we're part of that. And I think the conglomeration of all this, no matter what may have transpired to bring this airplane to that location, I think going forward, we'll have a better outcome. And John,
2: as always, I will leave you with the last word.
0: Well normally I would talk about pilots and putting their heads on the swivel and flying safely but in this case I'm going to I'm going to change my preaching. I this this incident, this event is going to be one of those milestones in aviation that changes a lot of thinking. You know, the quality that's missing from Boeing I think we're going to see changes there. I'm sure that Airbus and Embraer, the two other major major manufacturers, are reviewing their processes since this happened. That's what happens in aviation. You know, I I oftentimes say in my presentations that aviation is a big industry. And we have problems like every industry has. When we get the problems on the top of the table, they'll get addressed. They'll get fixed. But the real challenge sometimes is getting them from under the table to the top of the table. This one's at the top of the table. It will be fixed. And we will not see this again. So if you're a traveling public, all three of us travel. Greg and I, I mean, I did a couple hundred thousand miles last year. Right, That's a lot of flying. That's a lot of airplanes. right? And I'm going to be on another one next week. So I don't have a fear that this is going to come back and this is going to be a problem. So any of you out there that are concerned about flying, I would save those concerns for other areas because this one's going to be behind us real quick.
2: Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform. We want to keep in contact with you.
0: We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube.
1: You can email the show at flight at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube, we're really working on growing the channel and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that. And we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market
2: for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.